Welcome to Season 4 of Writers' Festival Radio, broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival, Canada's festival of ideas since 1997. Thank you for supporting authors and booksellers and each other. Today on the podcast, I'm thrilled to be sharing my conversation with Katie Kitamura. Katie Kitamura's most recent novel, Intimacies, came out in the summer of 2021 and was so critically acclaimed that I can barely begin to list the accolades here. A New York Times Top 10 Book of 2021 and a Best Book of the Year pick in the Washington Post, Vogue, Time, Oprah Daily, the LA Times, San Francisco Chronicle, Atlantic, and Entertainment Weekly. Her previous novel, A Separation, was also a New York Times notable book. It was named a Best Book of the Year by over a dozen publications, was translated into 16 languages, and is being adapted for film. Her two previous novels, Gone to the Forest and The Long Shot, were both finalists for the New York Public Library's Young Lions Fiction Award. She teaches in the creative writing program at New York University. Time Magazine calls her latest a thriller of a novel and exploring how one's proximity to power and violence can hold endless repercussions. Kitamura interrogates how our intimacies can change the course of our lives. Here's my conversation with Katie Kitamura. So, Katie, thank you so much for for being with us this afternoon to talk about your uh, remarkable, most recent novel, Intimacies. I wanted to say new book, but it's been out uh, almost a year now. Now, in 230-something pages, you bring us into one year in the life of of, uh, um, an interpreter, translator at the international uh, court, the human, it's sort of vague if it is the actual The Hague, but, uh, yes. <laughs> um, it is the human rights court. And, and this is a novel that in 230 pages compresses so many different elements, so many different, different facets of life, but is nonetheless rooted in a specific one year period. And, and you talk about, you know, the character is a, is a, um, an interpreter. And, um, so she spends a, a fair amount of time at the, the, international court and early in the book you say the court was run according to the suspension of disbelief every person in the courtroom knew but also did not know that there was a great deal of artifice surrounding matters that were nonetheless predicated on authenticity now this is probably true of the court but it is definitely definitely true of a novel and so i'm wondering um with this notion of, of artificially creating intimacy where does a novel, where did this novel start? Where does it begin for you? How, what is your way into this? Oh, first of all, Sean, thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to be here and speaking to you. Um, and thank you so much for that question. I mean, when I wrote that line, I absolutely was describing, at least to myself, what it is like to try to write a novel and what I think fiction in particular is able to do and that's the kind of contradiction at the heart of all fiction is that you are using so much artifice so many devices so many tools and at the same time you're hoping nonetheless that somewhere inside of that there is something that feels um I mean I always use the word authentic with caution because I think it's such a loaded word but there's something that feels feels true in some way um And I think for me, the root of the novel really was in the contradictions of language itself. And, you know, I started writing this novel because I heard Charles Taylor, the former president of Liberia, speaking in his own defense at his own trial in The Hague. 
And it was a kind of moment of understanding how easily and how expertly language can be manipulated, not uh, in aid of revealing some truth, but rather in order to obfuscate or confuse a, a particular truth. And I think, you know, as a writer, you always think I'm using all these, you know, devices in order to achieve some true thing. But actually, quite often, language can do the opposite. And so that contradiction was something that I wanted to play with um, in the book, that kind of confusion, the fact that language is this double-edged sword. Sometimes it is revealing the truth, at other times it is helping us to conceal it. Um, I mean, in terms of the novel, it is, I remember when my, my agent first read the book, her feedback was, it's a book about a lot of things, and you might be encouraged to make it a book about one thing, but I actually think you should try to have it continue to be a book about a lot of things, um, which is structurally kind of a little bit of an, a nightmare. You know, I think it would have been easier, not easier is the wrong word, but it would have been, I could have written it as a courtroom novel, for example, where the primary action is really inside the courtroom. But I think for me, I wanted to write a novel about what it feels like for me to exist in the world. And that is, there are many, many things going on at the same time. Some of them are on a scale that is almost impossible to comprehend. Others are very banal and, and, and uh, you know, it's the kind of quotidian concerns that you have. And that's what it is to be in the world is to kind of navigate the, the you know, the gap, the cognitive dissonance between those two things. So that, that was a kind of anchor that I used to try to write the book. As you said, it, it is, it has a specific time frame. It's about a year. It's a moment of transition for this character. And so I, having that frame, I then tried to kind of make it move as fluidly as possible between the different registers of, of one small life. Right now. And you said, so you're at the, you're at the, actually at this um, international court hearing, why were you there? What brought you there? Well, so the Charles Taylor interview, uh, so, sorry, the Charles Taylor speech I heard on the radio a long okay. time. Yes, that was in 2009. So it was many years before I even thought about writing this novel. I don't, I'm not even sure I was writing fiction at that time. It was a long time ago, but the experience really stayed with me. It was so destabilizing because despite myself, I found myself not persuaded, but shaken by his language in some way like I he was monstrous he was egotistical he was you know he 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 was a, a evil terrible person but at the same time the way he used language was there was a kind of you know there there was a kind of scale and grandeur to it that to a writer or a budding writer or wannabe writer as I was at that point you know felt persuasive and, and also interesting so I kind of filed that away in my head and then I think it must have been six, seven years later, I kind of came back to it and I tried to think about how to start writing it. So I, I did go to the International Criminal Court, which I've, I've, I've kind of taken to saying, you know, the court in my book has similarities to, but does not represent the activities of that court. But I, I sat in on a trial at the ICC, which was Lohan Bagbo's trial of, of Cote d'Ivoire. And um, that was a really illuminating experience. You know, I, I, I like to say that as a writer, I'm, I don't think I'm a strong researcher. You know, I'm married to another writer who is a kind of exceptional researcher. He, he's a very, very strong researcher. I, I often ask him to do some of my research as well. <laughs> but, you know, I don't consider, I'm not someone who gets great joy out of research. I feel like I go into research with the worst impulse, which is a hope that all of my biases will be confirmed, that everything that I've done is correct. But actually what's more useful for research is when 
everything, you find out that what you thought was wrong and something else opens itself up to you. And that was what spending this time in The Hague and at observing this trial really did for me is I realized that so much of what I thought about, you know, both both the kind of narrative of a, of a trial and also about the work of interpretation was actually not correct. And that luckily I did it very early on in my writing process. So that reoriented the book a lot. And did you, so it began with this hearing on the radio, the Charles, mm-hmm. the, the, this trial, uh, then it, Obviously, 2009 was when um, I believe your first novel came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then you've you've written uh, two other novels in between. Mm-hmm. So it's percolating in the background. Um, but what is it, I guess, that says this is the story I'm going to tell, and it's the interpreter that's going to be our our way into this trial? Like, what is, I, I guess I'm just trying to say, like, uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around how you one minute are just thinking, what am I going to write next? And then what is that doorway from, from that to actually sitting down and, and, mm-hmm. and starting a story like this? Yeah. Like, how do you, what's your way in? I mean, that's such a great question. And it, it's such a kind of a, a question that I, I wish I knew. <laughs> to answer. And so, because it is kind of, you know, I think, I, I don't know what, how, how other people feel about this. I often don't know for quite, a while if it's a book or not and sometimes I don't know until the very end if it's a, a a book that should be shared with anybody else or not if it's just something that I you know needed to fool around with and ultimately is not something that should be published um but I suppose subject matter is often for me th- there is a kind of something that kind of sparks in, in my mind and that I can feel my mind. And, it, and then, you know, it kind of goes, sits on the back burner, proverbial back burner, and just kind of, you know, your mind chews away at it. But when it comes to actually sitting down to write, I think it's voice that is, is critical to me and it's a voice that guides me through it. And so I wrote two novels that were in third person. And then I wrote my last novel, which was about a translator, was in first person. And something about that first person register I think was what led me to sit down and start writing this novel because I realized that you know I like to use first person not in order to kind of have this authoritative let me tell you a story kind of a voice but rather first person to kind of express really profound uncertainty about the character's place in the world and how the character um, interprets and observes the world around them is is, I always hope that the first person voice is in some way destabilizing um, you know, often the characters will posit hypothesis A and then come to B, C, D. And so there's never any kind of very solid, sustainable, um, quote unquote, truth. Um, so what, what, that indeterminacy of that voice felt to me like it paired with the indeterminacy that I felt about the way language was used in these situations, um, you know, which is which is troubling. It's in political situations in particular, it's very troubling to observe how language can be manipulated and used and and bent and made to not tell the truth. And so I think that that paired with the kind of qualities of that voice made sitting down to write the novel relatively easy. And I think I knew a ways in that that this was a book that I did in fact want to write and I wanted to finish. Well, and it's so interesting that the both the novels in the first person, your our narrator, uh, is a translator is somebody who, whose job is in some ways the opposite, I, I would, I think, of, of your job, because 
both the, 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 the women who, who narrate the two not books are, are responsible for conveying what somebody else is saying as truthfully. Uh, and as, you know, I think you describe it as kind of, um, well, I don't want to say how you describe it because you're going to give us a taste of the, the book in just a second, <laughs> but, but they do that, that, you know, their, their job, their, their role in, in their working lives is to share somebody else's truth. Right. And you're, as a novelist, you're doing something quite different in that you're, you're choosing, you're choosing what needs to be shared with us. Right. I mean, this is the whole, it's, it's not a, a, the novel it's 230 pages or so, but it's an entire year. So obviously you're leaving a lot out uh, in any novel you're, you're deciding. So just wondering, you know, if you can talk a little bit about the, the, the difference between writing and translating from, from that point of view of, of your job. I mean, in some ways you're translating your experience of life, your, your, your obsessions, the things you're interested in. Uh, so it is kind of similar. You're using language, but you're using it so differently. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about, you know, the author as translator of, of an experience or a question and the translators in, 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 in your novels, and then maybe just share a little taste of, of, of intimacies. Sure. Of course. I mean, I think, it's funny. I'm. I'm not a. I think there are a lot of novels right now where the central character is, is a writer in particular, and and there are novels that are about, the kind of Kunstler romans about becoming an artist, and that's definitely not what I write, and it's I, I suppose not what I'm interested in because it's not what I'm I'm writing, and I I think you know for me, authorship is is a complicated thing. It's authority is a complicated thing. It's something that I recognize as you say as a writer, I, I have, at least over the world of my fiction, I'm, I'm choosing what goes in there. There's a lot of um, authority that goes into that choice, um, but it doesn't sit easily with me for some reason. And I think one of the things that the character, certainly in intimacy, less so I would say in, in a separation, but certainly in intimacy is one of the things that the interpreter realizes that is that although she thinks of herself as a kind of channel for language and she thinks of herself as somebody who language passes through and and that she doesn't author it I think towards by the end of the novel she comes to recognize that actually she changes the language that passes through her and likewise she is profoundly changed by the language that she speaks even if she's not technically authoring it and I suppose that's something of what I feel my relationship to writing is is that I recognize you know it's one of the things you know people often say what do you do you have a piece of advice for people who are starting to write or, you know, what do you say to your students? And, and I think that the only thing I, I don't have any advice, I'm terrible at giving advice, but the only thing I would say is that writing is an act of exposure and you reveal yourself all the time. And I think that was something that took me a surprising amount of time to realize is that I think I thought fiction was somewhere where you could become somebody else or, you know, you could, uh, you know, meld into another, there, there was space for disavowal in some way. But in fact, you know, I'm friends with a lot of writers. When I read their novels, I see the imprint of their character everywhere in the book, not in the sense that A, you know, protagonist A represents writer A, but in, in the sense that their sensibility, their way of seeing the world is is in the text. Um, so I think that that sense of understanding how much you do shape, reveal, interpret, the thing that comes out is, is, is a journey that the, certainly the character makes and is similarly a journey that I think I'm still coming to understand mm. as a writer. Now, but is there, is there something with each novel, is there something specific you're trying to figure out 
through the act of writing it? Is there a question you're trying to answer or, or, or is it more that you're immersing yourself, you know, in, in this fictional world and, and then allowing it to tell you what it wants to, you know what I'm saying? Like how, how yeah, conscious I do. are you? I mean, it's, it's, it's such an interesting question. Um, I think I have a territory rather than a map, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I, 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 I feel like, and I'm wrong. I, I could be wrong, and I, I think certainly it's different for each writer. I think it's dangerous to enter into a project with a, a defined set of questions that you want answered, because I think in in discovering the answers, the questions should change. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so I have I have some terrain that I want to explore. And the questions present themselves to me, but you know, as as you probably guessed, I don't feel myself to be a person with the answers. So I, it's just a, the posing of questions actually is is a discovery for me, rather than the location of answers, um, locating of answers. Sorry, um, but that's a really interesting question because I think you do need to have a set of concerns, if not right. questions. Um, because if you don't, then you're really quite at sea. But I, I do, I do, you know, I, I do think the novels, I, I do think books should change in the writing. I think if I set out to write a book and I wrote that book, then that probably wouldn't be a very good book. Um, right. You know, it's exciting for me when I feel something shift and I don't quite know what's out there. Um, but I feel like I have enough, you know, in, in, I can take one step forward, you know, one or two steps forward. And I, and I know the direction I'm moving in, but I don't necessarily want to see all the way through to the end. You know, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I, that interests me when I read a piece of fiction and one of the things that moves me when I read a piece of fiction is when I can feel that the writer is trying to do something and they're not, maybe not sure they can do it. Um, mm-hmm. That feels like they're taking a risk and they're exposing themselves to me as a as a reader and they're taking that risk with me you know what I find impressive but sometimes less less interesting is when I can see that a writer knows exactly how to write the scene they know exactly how to execute this piece of craft you know there's a kind of showmanship to it that's dazzling that's exciting to read but it doesn't always move me in the same way it does as when I see a writer you know particularly there are writers who have this incredible skill set and then they kind of abandon it and and take a step out into into territory that's less defined for them that's always right. really exciting and for me that's a writer i want to read to the end of their career because they're well, going to keep changing and shifting and moving and i know and i'm going to get you to read in just a second but i i, <laughs> I have to i'm just thinking here about um it's true in intimacies i think it's true in a separation and i just read uh, just finished the uh, long shot um and it's true of, of long shot as well the, the those three novels all begin in some ways, um, after key choices have been made. So a lot of the the choices have been made before we come into the book as a reader and we're kind of, there's a momentum there. And I'm wondering how conscious a choice is that for you? And do you need to know exactly what happened? Like, do you know exactly what happened before we come in? Or are you as the writer also coming in at the same point, if you know what I'm saying to the stories? Because so in Intimacies, She's mm-hmm. she's taken the new job. She's living in the city. Something made her leave New York. There's all these, you know, so so it's already in motion. She's already made her friend. She's kind of, she's already thinking, yeah, maybe I want to stay and get my contract. That's all happening. In, in, in long shot, the rematch has already been determined. It's it's we're just a couple of days away. The 
that whatever training did or didn't happen, whatever broke down between the, the fighter and, and his trainer, you know, all of these things are, are behind us when we come in. And I'm wondering how you see that starting point for us and if it's the same for you. I mean, it, it's, it's, I feel like this is the wrong answer to give, but it's the truth is that I don't usually know huge amounts of backstory for my central characters. Um, I know them the same way the reader knows them. I know them right. through how they see the world. Um, and I'm, I'm excited by putting them in, into situations where there's pressure being applied to them and then just discovering in the writing how they're going to act, which I don't always know necessarily. Um, you know, it's funny. There are other characters that I, I know a lot about in the book, you know, like in Intimacies, uh, the character, there's a character who's a bookseller who mm-hmm. um, is, 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 I was going to say possibly a philanderer, but is definitely, I would say definitely <laughs> a, a, a philanderer. That's not a spoiler. Poss- poss- yeah, possibly, you know, invented a, a, a an assault. Um, and I know so much about this character. And I wrote, I wrote, a, I wrote the entire backstory and childhood of this character. Um, and then, and then I, I shared the draft with my, my partner, who's, 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 who's the ideal reader for me, because he understands what I want to do and helps me get there. And, and he said, you've let this character hijack the novel completely. He said, I can tell you've fallen in love with this character. You just wanted to write loads and loads with this character in this world. And that's fine, but that's not in this novel. And I, and so I ended up cutting out a lot of it, but that was a character where I knew, I knew what had happened. I knew childhood incidents. That's very rare for me with my central Mm. narrators. You know, I don't know what this character's child. I couldn't say X happened in, you know, whatever. Right. so for the bookseller, you you have the the backstory figured out yeah. in a way that you don't for the narrator. Yeah. Um, but do you, with that character, do you also know the dynamic between the siblings and and the arc within this story, or are you finding that out too? Like so, intimacies begins. She's she's got a she's got one really good friend, right? Do you know the arc of that friendship when when we meet this friend, or or is that something that I mean, you know, I'm, I'm wondering. To what extent is chance involved in these characters' interactions with each other? And you're saying you find out. Mm-hmm. And to what extent is it planned out? Like, do you do you have a? Did you always know intimacies was going to be one year? And did you know where it was going to end? And and then and the tone of that, or do you discover that while you're you're? you're I mean, I, I I think I knew it was going to be a year. I think I knew it wasn't going to be ten years for. <laughs> For example, and I knew it wasn't going to be two weeks or something because because there are things set in motion in the novel that even though it doesn't, I don't think follow a kind of um, standard unrolling of a courtroom narrative. Nonetheless, there are certain durational things that have I, I think had to had to be followed through at least to a certain extent. And even and even in that case, in the case of the trial, that is kind of at the part of the novel that has been that timeline has been compressed quite radically that's not how it would unfold in in real life it could not take those trials are i mean she enters midway through but really they you know they have many yeah. many years Multiple which years was, yeah and so i i had you know i was I, I, I tried to be extremely scrupulous in, in sticking very very closely to an actual trial but one of the reasons that why i didn't name the former president mm-hmm. 
why I didn't name him was, was in part because I, I, I strongly feel that's not my story to tell and I don't have the authority to tell that story. Um, but also because I, I had to adjust a few things um, and those yeah. are just, you know. It doesn't um, matter, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, so I've, I'm now blathered on so much. I've, <laughs> I've forgotten your question, which was which was really interesting. I'm so sorry. Can you? Well, God, I don't know. I'm I'm listening to you, so I'm happy to hear you answer. I, I don't care what the question was. was I'm getting that? good answers. That's all. That really, uh, um, well, and you question, just we'll circle back. To oh, it. oh, oh, is it about what you what you? It was about what you know about backstory, maybe. And well, it was you know, partly that, and it was about it, it, you know. Certainly, I'm I'm so, I find it so fascinating that that you. No, it was about whether you know the shape of of the, these characters, what they're going to do in the in the story when we meet them. That I think was sort I, of what I, we were. I think I don't, and sometimes to my detriment, you know. So I I. My, my kind of basic relationship to writing is that the first draft is all pleasure and I follow my pleasure and I follow what I want to write. And then the editing is, is when the hard choices and the toil takes, the real toil takes place in some ways. So when I wrote, write the first draft, I let myself be as intuitive as I want to be and I fall down rabbit holes. And then when I look at the draft that comes out, that's when, when somebody says to me, this character, has an outsized number right. of amount of real estate in the book. You've got to cut them down. That's when the, that's when those choices happen. But I think, you know, um, it's important for me that writing feels private. And mm-hmm. and I know in my I I know that books, as they are in the world, take place between the writer and the reader in that mm-hmm. relationship. And I know it's not private. But I think for the period of generating those pages, that is really just me. And so in that period, I, I I let myself be quite hedonistic in a way, and I just follow my impulses. And then I, I do so many drafts. I do a lot of editing, and that's when things get reined in, and that's when the shape comes into focus, I would say. So how different is the first draft from the second in the sense of, is it is it actual plot points and, and stories that come and go from, from the narrative? Like, are, are you... You know what? What do you lose? But like, or what do you? What do you, so you're saying you you kind of throw it all out there in the first draft? Mm. It's joyous for you, and then mm. the pain begins as the <laughs> editing starts. So, what is it that you first start to remove? Like, what are the things you first go through and, and pull away? I, I mean, so the, this this novel was interesting because I the process interesting to me, not <laughs> interesting mm. in general. But but so I, I teach and I I teach on an MFA program, and I didn't do an MFA, and I. Right. His in the past have been very um, guarded about sharing my work, and I have tended to share drafts that are really pretty close to done by the time my agent and editor will read them. So there's not that much work. I mean, there is, but but the problems that might be in the book are ossified. Like they're very hard to extract in some way because it has been so polished and sanded down, and the problems have been, to the best of my ability, smoothed over. Um, so it's quite hard to get into the architecture of the book and start moving things around at that point. Um, and something about watching my students come in every week and, and share new pages, share work that sometimes wasn't very good, but could get there. Um, and, and seeing how rapidly they were able to pivot and develop and, and improve their work made me decide to share the draft of this novel much earlier than usual mm-hmm. with my with my editors and with my agents. Um, and so that meant actually there were a lot of changes in this book and there were plot points that came out and there were, I don't think there were whole strands that were removed, but there were certainly 
there were plot points that came out. There were strands that were, I would say, de-emphasized. Mm. And then I think that, and that would be in the kind of third, fourth, fifth draft or so. And then from that point onward, a lot of what happened was, I would say, um, shifting the focus of where the where as a writer I was telling the reader to look. And that that's mm. quite subtle. And that came into focus over many drafts. You know, I think the novel now has a relatively strong kind of romantic or, or kind of love story in the middle mm-hmm. of it. Um, call it what you <laughs> call it what you <laughs> call it what you will. Um, that was really not present in the early drafts of the novel at all. Um, and it eventually took my my husband saying, you know, if I don't care about these two characters and why am I reading why am I reading this book? If I don't care mm-hmm. what happens to them, you know, what is in it for me as a reader? And and that you know, you know, he's a he's a he he's by no means a, a sentimental or, or a writer who panders to kind mm-hmm. of readerly expectations in any way. And so when somebody like that is saying that to you, then you you really I really listened. And and so those were things that came to focus in the last drafts of the book, I would say. Now, the, in all of the well, the three of your novels that I've read, one of the really remarkable things is, is I feel like there's nothing extraneous, even though they can meander and move around. I mean, 233 pages, this, this novel, as you're saying, it goes to a lot of different places. You're exploring a lot of different things. But there's nothing... In any of the, the, there's a thing that as a reader, I often notice where uh, it's almost the Hollywood effect where it's like, oh, the serial killer's in the house or you need to have, you know, if you're going to do the boxing story that you, or the mixed martial arts story that you did so well, there needs to be a love story or a gambling problem or something that's happening, you know, in every Hollywood version of it, that's, that's what's going on. And in intimacies, there would be, I don't know, I was, part of me was saying, oh, at some point the plot has to get turned up, you know, to this, this level of, of adrenaline where, you know, somebody has to try and break the, I don't know, attack the Supreme court and free him. You know what I mean? There's that thing and you don't do any of that. And yet there's so much tension because life is full of tension. And so yeah. just wondering about how you play with that calibration of things like violence and fear, but without, you know, there is violence that happens to, to, to characters mm-hmm. in the book, but mm-hmm. it doesn't, do you know what I'm saying? What that Hollywood, that, that I, moment I, I of, do. I, I do, and and you know, I, I think the thing is that as a as a writer, I I do play with genre, right? Right. So mm-hmm. so so it's um, you know, intimacies could be cast as a courtroom drama, a separation could be cast as a murder mystery. I suppose um, yeah. th- there is a big plot spoiler in, in that line, <laughs> but you know, could be could be cast as a as a mystery of some kind. Obviously, the first book is a kind of classic sports, follows a kind of classic sports genre, um, and so I I like to borrow the engine of, of genre and then kind of abandon the car, if that makes sense. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it kind of creates momentum because it creates certain expectations in the reader because you're looking, you know, when, you, when you're when you told I'm in a in a mystery, then you're looking for clues. When you're told you're in a courtroom drama, you're looking for a, a kind of certain heightened narrative. And and then to take that expectation and, and divert it and try to, you know, take the reader's tension, you know, tension and attention and, and push it in a different direction is is what I think I've particularly in the last two novels tried to do you know these novels really consciously play with genre expectations I think you know 
that might frustrate some readers that there isn't a kind of resolution and, and you don't have the kind of moment when the lawyer de- you know delivers a big speech and and you know x is convicted and it all feels great or or, or bad or, or whatever right. you're expecting but i think that does create tension that then lingers in the book and then as a writer you try to to direct it in, so, in some way um so i think there's genre and narrative expectation and then I think a lot of it is on the level of the sentence because the central character knows so little for certain mm-hmm. that I think it is destabilizing for the reader as well. Um, because I also think when we think about tension, even, even and especially in genre, um, it's, it's not about the thing that happens. It's about the expectation of the thing mm-hmm. that happens. It's about tension and, and a heightened state of, a, of attention, I think, right? So like in a, in a horror movie, it's about... I'm looking, I know I'm in a horror movie and I'm in a house by myself. Therefore, I am looking for the hand that bangs on the window or, or, or yeah. the door that opens or whatever it is. Um, and so I think similarly in, in for example, in intimacies, you, because it opens with a kind of act of violence that happens off screen, you're, the, you're in a kind of state of tension. And then that just means that you are looking at everything more closely. And in the same way that a, a house, when you know you're in a haunted house mm-hmm. or, you know, or whatever movie, everything starts to seem a little bit sinister or potentially menacing. I, I hope, or I think, or I try to make it similar in the book so that it kind of converts your experience of moving through the, the world where you're no longer taking things for granted. I mean, I think in both books as well, the characters are newly arrived in a place. So mm. they are already always examining things more closely than somebody who has kind of become used to the place in which they're living. They're both also dealing, I mean, and I guess this is part of the genre, but there's uh, there's a momentum already at work on them, right? Before we meet yes. both characters. And yes. so I'm wondering. That that's yeah, that was your your really interesting question, which I didn't answer, <laughs> <laughs> which is about entry point into right, it, yes. Right? Yeah. Um I mean, I, I I don't know. I always know where the books begin. I never know where they're going to end necessarily, but I always know where, where they begin. And I think some of it is um, commitment. The characters have committed to something when we meet them and they have to see it through. So in the first book, that's the most obvious example where they've committed to do this, this fight, where which they you know understand is unlikely to go well. In the second book, the character has separated but she's made this commitment not to tell anybody about the separation and that was the starting point for that book was the idea that you would have made a promise and you were going to keep that promise even though it no longer made any sense um and then in intimacy she's she's made this commitment to leave where she is and to go into this new um you know new city and new environment i would say of the of the three books intimacies is the one that has has a loosest um like those two books have quite strong narrative, you know, boundaries and and constraints in a way. Like like I, I knew from the beginning with the separation, the structure of it was going to be what does it mean to keep this promise? And similarly with the long shot, I knew it was going to be what does it mean to see this thing through to the end. Intimacies, I think, you know, I tried to take more risks in the novel and I tried to let it wander around a little bit so it doesn't have as strong of a kind of premise in that in in that sense or um, maybe strong is the wrong word, but it doesn't have this kind of um, single-minded. Single-minded, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I think old habits die hard, so it still has that same thing of you're meeting somebody when they've, already, as you said, already made 
the decision and and they've made a commitment to something. And I think also that's where dread comes from is seeing somebody make a terrible choice and then watching right. them <laughs> watching them follow it, follow it through. You're listening to Writers Festival Radio. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin Street, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. We can't do this without your support. And now, back to the conversation. Have you been writing during the pandemic, during the lockdown, or have you mainly just been, because I know the book came out sort of uh, during it all. So are you working on something now? Like, I, Yeah, I, um, I did the last edits on the book in 2020. So in the middle of the, the start of the pandemic, the I think I hadn't, yeah, I think the first half year of the pandemic or so, I'm trying to remember exactly when I had to finish. And that was, that was hard because I think editing, as I said, is the most difficult part for me and the part that requires the most focus. And I was not <laughs> focused, you know, I, I live in New York and that period from kind of March to May was, was, we stayed in the city, was it, was a was a difficult period to be in the city. Um, and I have started writing something new. I've been writing a fair amount. It's been, you know, it's, I'm not writing about the pandemic and I, I've decided I'm just not going to. And I know many writers are writing about the pandemic and, and I think many people feel a, an obligation to, and, and, and uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm just, as I said, you know, these early drafts are, are just, just me following my, my pleasure. And that's not, that's not, that doesn't take the form of writing about a pandemic. It takes the form right. of something else <laughs> entirely. Um, so I have done some writing. Reading has been, it's, it's been fits and starts. There have been moments when I've been felt most overwhelmed where reading has, I feel like saved my mental health in so many ways. And, and I read a lot during the early parts of the pandemic. I, I read a lot of um, World War II um, mm. fiction. I, you know, I read this amazing uh, German writer, Anna Segers, um, who wrote this extraordinary novel, Transit, which is about people trying to, um, it's set during the, it's set in occupied France. And it's about a group of people who are trying to leave Marseille and can't get the right exit papers. And, and you know, reading that in the middle of the pandemic felt to me felt liberating. I, I then mm. suggested it to many friends who found it the opposite and couldn't believe right. them to read a novel about being trapped in occupied France. Um, but, but it's, it, it's for sure. I mean, I, the distractions of, of social media, especially when it doesn't actually feel frivolous to be checking your Twitter because the world shifts very suddenly um, are, are difficult. I, I've, I've taken to just doing shameless amounts of reading in the bath because I can't access my phone in the That's bath. Smart. And, and I will, I mean, I, you know, one of my favorite reads from the previous year of my favorite books was the Copenhagen trilogy, the Tove Ditlivsen. And that's in three little volumes. And I just read one a night in the bath. And then, and then I just felt a little bit more sane when I, when I got out and, and got ready for bed. Um, but it's, it's been, it's been, it's been difficult. Um, I know a lot of people have said they found it difficult to start new projects as well. Right. Um, because I think it feels like the world is shifting so rapidly, but I'm a very slow metabolizer of 
influence and inputs. And that's, I've accepted that, you know, it, I hear something in 2009 and the book I write about, <laughs> it comes out in 2021. So, so that, that is, you know, expect my pandemic novel in 2035. But now, um, Oh my God. It's so interesting. What it, like, I'm, you know, you're saying it doesn't feel frivolous to check our Twitter feed or check the, the social media, but I agree. It doesn't feel frivolous, but it kind of is. This is the interesting thing I'm realizing is that I, I don't know whether I know, you know, as we're speaking right now, there's, there's a, there's a number of wars happening in the world. One that's yeah. getting a lot of attention and, yes. and others that, that, that aren't, but there's all this, these things happening. And I'm, I'm curious do you feel it adds anything to your life to know in real time? You know what I'm saying? Like that, do we, why it, like I, I, cause it's such a different to read a book, even to read, you know, so um, Amitava Kumar wrote a, a really, you know, talking about writers writing yeah, about writing yeah, and writing yeah, about the pandemic. Yeah. He had this wonderful yeah. book where it's a writer during the pandemic mm-hmm. writing about the, and it's all, it's all meta, uh, mm-hmm. but that felt in, in even in part of his book, he, he, there's a whole series of just tweets, uh, you know, but yet somehow reading it in in a book a year or so after the events that are being described, I felt like I was metabolizing it in a way that's much healthier and that actually gave I me see. something rather than when I was actually reading those same tweets from the psychotic president <laughs> in real mm-hmm. time. Anyway, I'm just curious, mm-hmm. like this, this notion of. Yes. I mean, I, 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 I think it's, it, it's, it's the distance is useful. And then I think it's having the wonderful filter is the wrong word, or maybe it's a right word, but it's having the wonderful filter of a mind and consciousness like Amitava's to, to contextualize and create the frame for that material, I think is, is, is part of why I read fiction. And that's when, when, when you see those, that material coming back at you in a novel and it feels right. I think that's, because of distance and I think it's because of the, the, the writer. Um, mm. That question of does that, do you need to know right now? Uh, um, clearly not, not really. It's probably better to read a kind of well-chosen analysis of the events 24 hours later rather than, I mean, I remember during, during Tavia Square, for example, that, which to me was the first time where you were getting information of what was happening on the ground, so to speak, in mm-hmm. real time, much faster than any news source was able to to and verify. Unmediated in a way, yeah, and right? unmediated. And I remember at the t- I remember really distinctly thinking it was an extraordinary and extraordinarily strange um, experience. I I think now there's a lot more opinion giving on on Twitter, which is something that I'm, I'm not, I'm really not made for. You know, I, I don't have the smart hot take ever, like literally ever. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't synthesize information that quickly. I just can't. And I, and I don't have the certainty, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see a situation. I don't have the conviction that what I'm saying is going to be a good take six hours, 12 hours, never mind even six days later. Right. So, so I, I, I find in that sense, I, I don't tweet about that. I'm not, an active participant on Twitter in that sense. Um, I, I think, you know, there are people who have written about social media in, in really interesting ways and have captured the strangeness of the juxtaposition of, of how news filters into your feed um, and in a way that's very productive for their fiction. In terms of actual life, 
is it really useful? No, I don't. I don't feel better informed about the world because of social media. I don't. I don't think. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I would say in a hard and fast way that it it's not useful or it hasn't. Mm. I take that back. I, I, I take that back. <laughs> I do think I do. Th- I, I I take that back. I, I don't think I'm. I, yeah. I, I think Twitter can be really useful as a as a new source of news as long as you're able to vet and understand your sources. And you know, obviously, you can curate your Twitter feed as well. You don't have to follow the person, even though I do. Trust me, I do. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to follow the. You know, you you know, you don't have to follow certain. You can you can make a very specific Twitter feed if you want. If you to. so choose, and yeah, if I you suppose so choose, if you so choose, yeah. Um, so maybe this, I, I took us far away from where we were when I was asking you to, to read a little, um, but I, I just, the language is so beautiful in this book, and I want to make sure people get a, a um, who haven't yet read it, a sense of it. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can read just a little, give us a taste of intimacies. Of course. Um, so this is just a little brief section towards the start of the book that is about interpretation. The first time you listen to an interpreter speaking, Their voice might sound cold and precise and completely without inflection, but the longer you listen, the more variation you would hear. If a joke was made, it was the interpreter's job to communicate the humor or attempt at humor. Similarly, when something was said ironically, it was important to indicate that the words were not to be taken at face value. Linguistic accuracy was not enough. Interpretation was a matter of great subtlety, a word with many contexts. For example, it is often said that an actor interprets a role or a musician, a piece of music. There was a certain level of tension that was intrinsic to the court and its activities, a contradiction between the intimate nature of pain and the public arena in which it had to be exhibited. The trial was a complex calculus of performance in which we were all involved and from which none of us could be entirely exempt. It was the job of the interpreter not simply to state or perform, but to repeat the unspeakable. Perhaps that was a real anxiety within the court and among the interpreters. The fact that our daily activity hinged on the repeated description, description, elaboration, and delineation of matters that were outside, generally subject to euphemism and elision. It's beautiful. Thank you for that. Now, just, you know, I, I want to be conscious of how much time I'm, t- I'm taking here, but I, I this this notion of, of curating, I'm so, you know, I, I'm curious what, you're looking for as a reader when you're sort of walking into a bookstore and how that contrasts or compares with what you're interested in as a writer. You know, are you, Mm. are they the same? Is it the same Mm. basic curiosity at work, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, coming from in you out to the world or coming in, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Is it? I do. I do. I mean, it's a great question. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing of, there's almost two kinds of reading. You you can you, there's a reading that you do because the person is doing the thing you're trying to do, right. and then there's a reading you do where the person is doing something you can never ever ever even dream of doing, and and those are equally kind of nourishing kind of types of reading. You know, one of my favorite books that I read last year was Benjamin Labatut's um, When We Cease to Understand the World, and that is a book that I I could never write. I mean, I could I could never write that book. Um, but it re it recalibrated my understanding of what a novel could do. And for me, mm. that's completely thrilling. And in that sense, it does feed directly into, into what I think of as a kind of practice as a as a writer is is is, is ambition. You know, the, the right. best books are the ones that remind you that the 
writing can do more than you think it can do. And, and for me, that book absolutely did that. You know, then there's the writers who are so good that you don't learn anything from them except to be in a state of kind of abject awe because they're just mm. so exceptional, you know. To, to me, Canalsgaard is like that. You know, I, I, I see a lot of people trying to write like like him. It's it's really, really difficult. He makes it look easy. It's almost impossible. And you can study those books and study them. And it's they're very, very hard to replicate. Um, so there's writers like that. And then and then there, you know, I, I did a I studied literature and I, I did a I did a PhD in American literature. And so I I always find like if I'm wondering what I should read, you know, I, I read how can I put it? I think I, I read narrowly and deeply in the way that mm. a kind of academic person might. So if I, if I'm interested in a writer, I will read everything that's available that they've written. And then I will read their cohort that they right. the kind of air, the kind of air that they were breathing when they were writing, I'll read that set of writers and then I'll read their influences and I'll, I'll just try to understand. And that's, that's, that's tremendously useful in understanding the books and it, it helps. It also just organizes my reading. So I think, ah, I can mm. see little links, you know, if, if I was, you know, I, I read a lot of Jelinek, then that leads you to reading Ingeborg Bachmann. And then of course that leads you to reading Paul Celan. And then, and then suddenly you can see, because books don't come out of nowhere. They come out of mm. very, very specific contexts, often very, very specific relationships and friendships and, and influences. And I think as a reader, um, as a reader and a writer, part of what I'm trying to do is to understand that that network, um, so I can better understand what the books are doing. I mean, I guess it makes sense that if you're a if you were a marathon runner, every time you saw somebody jogging, you'd be thinking about form and style. But so when you're reading, it is as a writer in the sense that that everything is is going into this. I mean, this is a vocation where you're really committed, right, to to exploring it. No, I, I think the 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 um the almost litmus test is the best books you read as a reader. And and they convert you to a reader. You're just pure reader. And I think the books that are very good, but maybe not mm. you know, out of the you know, in the in the stratosphere, are the books where you read them as a, a as a writer and you notice the craft elements and you know i hate that word craft but yeah. still, you know you, you notice the elements you see what they're doing you see where things might not have why, why do you hate the word craft i think just because it's used so much in the mfa okay <laughs> within, within the world of the mfa so i immediately associated with kind of workshop and and all, all these kinds of things i'm having the same issue with the word freedom right now it, oh, it yeah. seems to mean a kind of a weird white power colonialism and yeah, i'm like yeah, well that's yeah. not what freedom yeah, that's is. not what freedom but is. anyway yeah I, um, but, but craft, but you yeah, would look the, the at it of, as a, as an well, art and a craft, right? I mean, clearly you're, do you see, like, I mean, do you see a progression in your own, you're, you're, you're getting more precise in how you use your language with each book or, or I mean, it, I, or do you think it's not craft? I, I think, um, I think the important work is in, is almost apart from the technical aspects. And I think the important work is the kind of widening of, ambition and parameters and um and boldness and a willingness mm. to take risks in your work i think that's the kind of that's a widening of the aperture that i want to see happen um i i, I the thing is that you know because i'm friends with and i'm married to exceptionally gifted writers and so i see what writers can do like hari mm. my husband he has his technical toolkit is 
much larger than mine. He's able to do a range of writing that I definitely cannot do. And I, mm-hmm. and I know that. So in that sense, like craft, like I, I could, I guess I could spend a decade and try to figure out if I knew how to write a historical novel. Um, <laughs> I fear that would be a lost decade of my life. Right. That's something that he can do standing on his head. And so, so in that, so, so in that sense, I, I think I'm not necessarily like, can I, can I sharpen my metaphors? <laughs> can, right. I, can I teach myself to write in this way? Can I teach myself to do this? Um, you know, I, I think I just, I just dig deeper into the hole I'm already in, in a way, but I think the adjustments or or the way I can hope to become a better writer is actually by, by um, learning to be looser on the page, learning, trying mm. to take bigger risks, trying to widen the terrain, the set of ideas that I'm exploring. Does that, does that, that make sense? Yeah. And as a teacher, is that so with your students, that would be the thing you're trying to work with them on is less the technical side of it and more just getting them to open up and, and follow it through? Or, I, or... I, I, I think so. I mean, I always say at the start of the semester, you know, um, try to become intimately acquainted with your peers' work so that you can give them the notes that they are able to and interested in executing. Maybe the second is more important okay. that they're interested in executing. So, you know, I think to say to somebody, you should be funnier. <laughs> if that's not the register they want to write in is maybe right. not the most use- useful thing. You know, somebody could, could, could say to me, why don't you set this novel in, in, I mean, I keep going back on the historical novel because that's the mm. idea that fills me with the most horror, but you know, they could say to me, why don't, <laughs> I don't know, why, why don't you do this? And if it's something I just don't know how to do, that's not necessarily the most useful thing. Um, but there are writers who, who develop, you know, everybody develops in a different way. And some writers, they do have that. Some writers have that range. And then I think it's a shame to not encourage them to right. discover that range. Um, but I think I'm always trying to find when I work with people, I'm always trying to find the novel they want to write. And then I'm always trying to help them to write that novel rather than telling them to write a different novel. You know, mm-hmm. I think the least useful thing you can do as a as a kind of instructor is to say, this is a book I would write. So why don't you write that? Because, you know, it's instead trying to find, help them find the idiosyncrasies of their own voice and to help them find the kind of conviction to, to follow that and to be strange and eccentric on the page in a way that, you know, to write the book that only they could write rather than, than the book that a room full of 12 people could write. Right. Oh, perfect. Katie, thank you so much. I think this is a good, I've taken thank a you. full hour of your time and, and uh, just thank you for intimacies and for, oh. for um, all the work you're doing. And again, taking the time to, to get it down to these, this concise little window into a world that I'm so grateful uh, during this time um, to have read it and discovered your work. But, but I think anytime it, it's a real pleasure to walk in other people's shoes and to really, um, the gift of a different perspective on the world and, and different questions. So I, I thank you for that. And, thank uh, you so much. Thank you for this conversation. It's really it been a joy. So great talking with you. That was my conversation with New York Times bestseller, Katie Kitamura, about her latest novel, Intimacies. Thanks to all our patrons, volunteers, and donors. And thanks to the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Ottawa Public Library, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubé, Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening.